Well, let's look at John chapter 3. I want you to read with me or just follow along with me for the first few verses there. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? And can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. But do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Father, I thank you, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, help me communicate as you have put this into my heart. And I pray, God, that every ear be attentive right now to receive what you're saying this morning in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. amen. I, I never intend for a sermon anywhere to become, to become a series. But over the last couple of weeks, I've really been preaching to you on the very same thing. And I titled it like this. Why don't I see more or why can't I see more? Especially when God has made all of these incredible promises to us. The first week or just a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with where Jesus spoke about the sower sowing a seed. And he went and he spread it out over the ground. And you remember some fell on wayside soil, some fell on stony ground, some fell among the thorns, and some fell among on, on the good ground. And, and wherever ground it fell on is what it produced because some of the seed, and the Bible says this, produced a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, and have to be honest, some never ever gets produced. Why? Because the enemy comes immediately to steal from you or you reject the word that God has given you. And then last week we spoke out, out again. I think we were out of the book of John chapter 10 where we declare to you that the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he spoke that under the circumstances that we are in. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the circumstances doesn't matter to God. Would you do that? Look at somebody. The circumstances doesn't matter to God. He's got the ability to override it and change it. So this morning, I believe we're going to push it a little bit further. And we're going to see why don't I see more? And why can't I see it if God's promised it? then why is not more manifesting in my life? This is not to put guilt on anybody. None of these messages are. But the reality of it is, is to cause us to pursue, to take a look at where we are, that just maybe there might be something in me that's a little off track. You know, it's real easy when nothing's going right to point your finger at everybody else and say it's their fault. 
I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. That's been the nature of the fall of man from the very beginning. When Adam sinned, the first thing that he did, he looked at that woman and said, God, it's her. This was all her doing and all her fault. That's why I'm in the condition that we're in. And man from then on has continued to live in that place. Let's cast the blame instead of coming and looking to us. Michael ran into my office this morning or came in. He said, Pastor, I've been praying wrong. Okay, what what did you mess up? Because Michael, we all know Michael, he's believing for a miracle. He struggles with a little bit of, he's he's very open with us. And we love Michael around here. Uh, Little mental health issues and such as that. He said, I've been asking God to deliver me. But he said, I've come to a revelation. He already delivered me. So I'm claiming my victory. So sometimes we're praying for something that God's already done and already released. So it's up to us to receive it. Let's get to this today or I'll never get there. So the Bible said there's this man by the name of Nicodemus. Now notice what the scripture says about him. His name means a conqueror of the people or a ruler of the people. And Nicodemus happens to come to Jesus by night. Now let's look at him because I think it's important for us to see who he is. Nicodemus was a high-ranking Pharisee. And Pharisees were people that were very knowledgeable, they were very strict, and they were very strong in the law of God. I mean, he knew it left, right, up, front, back, and down. He lived it. But not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a ruler among the Pharisees. In other words, he could have been a part of the Sanhedrin the ruling council of all the the Jews. He would be like our Supreme Court justices today. If something would be brought before him, he would make a ruling upon that from the Torah or from the law of Moses at that moment that he had so skillfully been under. But not only was he in that position, remember, he's very knowledgeable. He has heard all the prophets from way back there. He has heard of their writings and the words that they have spoke of a a hope for Israel that was soon to come. And evidently, he was in a place where Jesus had been teaching. And so he comes to Jesus by night. He didn't come in the daylight when everybody could watch and everybody could see. He slipped into him in the darkness. We don't have a real clue of why he did that. Maybe that was the only time he could have got an appointment with Jesus. Maybe it was the only time that Jesus wasn't out ministering among the multitudes. But whatever it was, the Bible was clear to tell us he came in the dark. And he speaks these words to Jesus. And he calls him rabbi. Which the word rabbi means a teacher, but not just any teacher. He was one that would be highly recognized and positioned. He said, Rabbi, we know. That's interesting because evidently there's been a discussion about Jesus going on. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Now, how'd they figure that out? 
I think he gives us a little clue in the next part. Now, stay with me because this is going to show us something. For nobody can do the signs. And notice how he said it. He didn't say miracles. He just said nobody could do these signs except he be sent from God. So evidently what he had studied, he had recognized that there would be certain signs that would reveal and unfold this one that would be called Jesus that would come for the redemption of the nation. Nobody can do these signs except God be with him. And then Jesus turns and he speaks these words. I find them kind of interesting. He said, most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. Jesus talks to him about something totally different. Jesus just didn't say, I'm him. But Jesus started saying, wait a minute. Yes, you've been waiting upon the one that's going to bring hope to the nation. But Jesus talks to him more about the life that he's going to bring than he talked about himself in this particular moment. Because he said, unless you are born again, you will never see the life of the kingdom. Isn't that what he said? Hang with me. So I'm going to give you another definition of kingdom life because we've been talking a lot about the kingdom. That was the message that Jesus came with when he came on. That was his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here's another definition of kingdom. Kingdom is a life which we live before and under God that has supernatural effect upon us and everybody around us. It's a life that we live before and under God. That has supernatural, I don't know, you might call it affect, which means it reflects on me. I think I'm saying it right. But it also have an effect upon everybody that we come in contact with us. But he said, the only way you're going to see it is that you're born again. And then Nicodemus, a smart, intelligent individual said... Well, how can a man that is old be born again? How can he be born when he's old? Can he enter in to his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I think there's two points to look at here with this, with this saying that Jesus is making when he talks about being born of water and spirit. I want us to understand that this supernatural life can be manifested in this fleshly life that you and I live in right now. The first that he was talking about, he said that he, he is born of water and of spirit. I believe he was talking about as we are in the womb of our mother and we are developing up there in a sack of water am I am I not right and we're nurtured there for a number of months and then what happens that water breaks and it begins to flow through that canal making way for us to come into a brand new life so I'm here to let you know that you can have kingdom life right here upon this earth right where you are right now you can live supernaturally above all the circumstances of this world I believe it but he's also talking about the life of the spirit 
that the only way you're going to enter into this, you got to be born through the Spirit of God, which is represented by water and, and, and blood in a sense. Unless we're born of the Spirit, of water and the Spirit, we're brought through Him, we're not going to have any life. So here comes a man that come to Jesus. Like many of us in this room here this morning, we've come to Jesus, but I still can't see. And I still can't grab hold of everything that I need to grab hold of or the Bible has promised me. So maybe I've got a problem that I need to address. I want to give us a few things why I believe that most of us can't see. One of us is, one of them is, I believe we don't realize how religious we are or have become. That we are probably more religious than we realize. Now, y'all are going to have to bear with me for a moment. I don't know why I think like this. But I just begin to immediately think of something. How many has ever heard of a comedian by the name of Jeff Foxworthy? And Jeff Foxworthy does this bit to where he says, you might be a redneck if. You ever heard that? You know a redneck is basically considered a white, uh, rural, kind of ignorant, according to dictionary, uh, racist, bigoted, I mean opinionated, vocal individual, but really goes nowhere. And so he makes a, a routine out of that. And he'll say stuff like this. If y'all just hang with me, I don't know why. God, it just hit me this morning. He said, you might be a redneck if you find yourself on the news more than five times talking about the sound you heard out of the tornado. You might be a redneck if you keep getting a knock on your door and they think you're having a yard sale every day. You might just be a redneck if you mow your grass and you find a car. I know it's Sunday morning. Hang on. I'm going somewhere. You might be a redneck if you have to take out a loan on the tattoo and say, I got three more months for this heart with my mama's name on it and it's going to be mine. Just might be. I know that doesn't pertain to anybody in here, and I'm not a comedian by any means. But I got to thinking, you might be religious if you just showed up for church because it's Sunday morning. You just might be. Because just because you showed up didn't mean you really come to receive. You just showed up because it's Sunday morning. You might be religious if you think the more you say praying, the more God answers. Because Jesus even spoke this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't think for a moment that I hear you because you get loud or you say a lot of words. He said, that's not what moves me. Jeff Foxworthy said, not pastor. You might be a redneck if you ever made change out of the offering plate. Now, I know that's none of you. 
but you just might be. It might be that you're religious if the only time you ever come to church is when we got dinner. Now, I, I just threw a few little things out there. But you'd be surprised how religious we, we've really become because we've got this idea that God can only do it one way and God can only move like this and, and this is the way we've always done it and everything around me is moving except me. And then I wonder why I can't receive. I better get away from Jeff Foxworthy. I'm not going to make it as a comedian. I can tell you that already. Let me give you a second reason I believe. I don't know if she's putting them up on the screen or not, but I believe this. I just don't like where I'm at. So I think I'll come to God. Or maybe sometimes when we're in the middle of sin, we get caught then all of a sudden we got to run. I'm caught. I'm facing consequences that I don't like. It's like the beautiful young lady a number of years ago when I pastored in Paducah. I never will forget her name was Melody. Melody showed up in my office on a, a weekday morning and Man, she was a beautiful young lady and her husband was my guitarist at the church at the time and, and she very seldom come, may show up once in a while. She worked in a nursing home and they'd done a random drug test that morning and Melody was caught. And Melody's knocking on my door because they just fired her. And she's there at our office. And the more we talked with her, I, could, I was convinced more than ever. Melody wasn't wanting any kind of change in her life. All she was wanting, I, I'm caught. My family doesn't know this. I'm going to be facing some consequences I've never faced. So I'm coming to God to see if he will help me out. I sat there for a couple hours, me and another young man that was on staff with me at the time there. And we were praying with her, encouraging her that she needed to quit what she was doing. She had a beautiful little two-year-old daughter. And we, I, I remember because we felt it. You just feel it in here. They're not going anywhere. There's real no repentance here. There's not a desire to change. They were just caught. I said, Melody, did you ever think that God may be giving you grace this morning to let that thing happen to bring an end or to give you a challenge to get away, to get free from something that's got a grip on you? I said, do you realize they could have you put in prison because you're still in prescription drugs and everything else? And I said, what about, what are you willing to leave your husband and leave the little two-year-old daughter because you've got this fix at a moment? And I said, what is the worst thing that could happen? What if you took something from somebody else or you overdosed and you died? Melody walked out of the room that day. Really not a change, but just sorry that she had gotten caught. And it was a couple months later. It was the spring of the year. I believe that was, <coughs> I believe that was somewhere February because I remember a little snow being on the ground and cold that we get caught. It was a Sunday morning after, after service, and she was supposed to come to church with her husband that morning, but she didn't show up. And so me and Diane are at dinner, lunch that afternoon. We get a call, and he had gotten home and said, Pastor, I found Melody passed out on the couch and her little two-year-old baby beside her. She's unresponsive. We're taking her to the hospital. And a few hours later, Melody slipped into eternity. I'm caught, but I don't need a change. 
I don't like where I'm at, so I'll come and maybe religion can help me. Here's the third reason. I hope it makes sense to you. I, I want a better life. You don't have to be in sin. Everything about the gospel is about a better life when it really comes down to it. It's about us having life and having it more abundantly. It's about me excelling. It's about me being blessed. It's about me prospering. It's about me walking in health. I want a better life, but I really don't want Jesus. I don't want to try. I just want a better life. Many people in this room, you want a better life, but not willing to do what it takes to get to the better life. Here's the last reason I'll give to you this morning. It's simply this. It becomes a heaven or hell issue. And that's much of the message of the church. You better get your life to Jesus. You better come to Jesus or you're on your way to hell. You better give your life to Jesus or you're going to burn in eternity for, forever. You better give your life to Jesus because you want to go to heaven and you want to be with your loved ones. Uh, somebody correct me or I'll let you look at it. We'll chat through the scripture. But that was never the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus was I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we the church have adapted a message to try to win the world. If you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. You want to know where all that came from? I think it was in the late 1800s when a great plague spread across Europe and literally Thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of people were dying by the plague. And they were dying so rapidly that the priest would go at the last moment and offer last rites to them. Are you ready to meet Jesus? So what did we do? We adapted a message out of a time of great famine and plague. And we brought it into our culture. It happened again, even in our country. I think it was a time when there was a, a, a great plague and hundreds of thousands of people were dying. And the very same thing would happen. The priests would go, the ministers would stand. And at the last moment, are you ready to meet Jesus? So that's become our message. And so it's really not a message of kingdom. It's just a message, are you willing to go to heaven? Are you willing to go to hell? I'm not saying that that's not a, a real place, and I'm not saying it's not a destination. Don't misunderstand me. I, I've got news for you. I, I'm going to give everybody hope in this place today. Every person in this room is going to get to encounter heaven. Y'all are very quiet. But I've also got some other news I might as well put on you too. Not everybody's going to stay. Because the Bible said we will all stand before him in the great white throne judgment and the books will be opened and those will, he will judge us whether we will stay with him or whether we will spend eternity in a place called torment, a place called the lake of fire. And I think the thing that's going to make hell so horrible and so horrific is not the flames of fire which I can't even 
even imagine that is I believe personally that through eternity you will be able to look across the great gulf up into the heavens and you will see everybody rejoicing and celebrating around the throne while you are in the place of torment. And I can take that passage so you'll know from the rich man and Lazarus. And so many times, that's, that's how we draw everything from God because my whole view of, of the Lord is I got to get saved to go to heaven or I got to get saved because I'm going to miss hell. And nobody tells me that Jesus came to give me life in this present moment and to give it to me more abundantly. But how do I get into that? How do I get into that? Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, the only way you're going to see the kingdom, he said, you must be born again. He said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Now, wait a minute. Play of words. Because you got to understand, we're looking from, we're thinking from a Western mindset into an Eastern culture. And when Jesus was talking about seeing, I'm talking about, am I looking at it with my eyes? And the reality, this is what the definition of that word would really speak. He said, in order to perceive and really know the kingdom, you must be born again. See, you can see, but don't see. Helen Keller said the worst thing that a person can have is to have eyes that see, but can't see. I bet all of us have been in a place of hopelessness from some time. We, we all have. I, I guarantee it at some point that you couldn't see a way out. You couldn't see on the other side, I, I remember it's been a number of years ago. We were just kind of in a financial bind and kept, felt like we couldn't get out of that. And, and I remember me and Diane was looking at everything that we were doing. We were drawing out all of our, you know, our, our budget. We were, we, we were laying out what we got coming in, what we got going out. And, and it just didn't make sense. We were going nowhere. And I couldn't figure out, how do we get over this? I can't see an answer. So I got my pride out of the way. I said, I got to go see somebody before we get in trouble. And I remember going to the bank, sitting down with the banker. Within five minutes, they had us turned around. Because they had eyes to see from a different angle. I was in such a moment of maybe of hopelessness, maybe a moment of despair, maybe a moment of what are we going to do that I couldn't see anything. And maybe that's where some of you in this room are. You're, you're in that spot because things around you are just in such a way that you can't see. you got eyes, you know it, but you really can't grab hold of it. But he said, except you're born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. If you, you'll not really be able to understand it unless you're born again. I know some of you, life is adapted to you and you've chosen this to be your life. This is the lot that failed to me, so I'm going to live it out. But that's not ever been the plan of God. 
I want to remind you again. I've got to, I've got to find it in the, I, I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. Give me just a moment. I wasn't intended, so I didn't have it in my, my notes to do it. But I read it to you last week, and I want to find it here. Give, give me just one, one moment. Come on, you opened up the other day. Do it here. Behave yourself. Come on. These crazy phones. I need Maverick. Oh, my goodness. Gee, would you believe this? Samuel Loran, one of those guys. Okay, one, one last try. No, oh, oh, it showed up. Thank the Lord. There it is. L listen to what he said. L listen, I read this to you last week out of the Passion Translation. It says, the, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal and slaughter. And he wants to string you up like a pig, slit your throat. He wants to bleed you out. He wants to serve you as meat. He said a thief only has one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you can expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. That's the plan of God. That's the will of God for your life. <coughs> but the only way is to truly be born again. Then he went on to say, how can a man enter into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, you're missing the point. This is a work of the Spirit. This is a work of receiving Jesus of what Holy Spirit is, going, is up to and what he's doing. You don't see the wind. You don't know where it comes from. But we feel and see the effects of it. That's the same way it is with the things of God. If you're going to try to figure everything out through your flesh, how it's going to happen, how this, some of you are so planned, you won't even give God an opportunity. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be planned or to have a great, a, a great vision in front of you, but somewhere you got to yield all of that to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you with my life and your ability to give me a life that's more abundant. He said, you don't understand the wind where it comes from, but nevertheless, it is a work. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I don't know how it happens. I, I don't know. I know I pray for people and I watch change. Does everybody change? No. Sometimes it's not my fault. Hello. Sometimes it's it's just we. I, I remember Brother Hagen saying when he'd bring many people into the church, and, and you know these guys would pray. He said, "I knew when I walked up to them. Okay, they don't want anything. They're in a prayer line, but not receiving. They're in the prayer line, and it throws back on you." Why? Because they're trying to figure it out instead of just embracing the faith that is in Jesus to say, Lord, I receive what you have for me, but I don't feel a change. Doesn't matter. It's first embracing. It's first receiving. Are you all right? 
Jesus said, except a man be born of the spirit and of the water, he'll never have the life that God intended. But if you go through that new birth experience, let me share with you what happens. Colossians chapter 1 says this, out at verse 14, 13 or 14 says that we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness and we are brought into the kingdom of light. Now a freshness of revelation of where real life is so that I can see to grab a hold of it so that I can see to move in it but it'll also reveal things in me that I need to let go of. I want to tell you I believe we the church much of the church anymore really doesn't know what a new birth experience is. If I just walk to the aisle preacher said take my hand pray this prayer I go back it's done. If your faith is in my prayer, you probably not got much in the reality of it. But your faith, the Bible said in Romans chapter 10, he said, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus, that he's the son of God and that he died and rose again. This is what the Bible said. He said, you can be saved. And when you look up that word saved, Matter of fact, just a little bit further, as Jesus reads on, this teacher is challenging him maybe a little bit. Maybe Jesus felt the questions that were rolling from him. And Jesus begins to speak and say, Most assuredly, I say to you, what we speak we know and testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended into the heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. As Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus talking about himself. What happened when Jesus, what happened when that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness? Remember, everybody had been bitten by those serpents. They were sick and dying, but those that put their eye upon that serpent on that pole, every one of them was restored to wholeness. That's what Jesus is saying. Why are you sick? Why are you bowed down with this world's trouble? Get your eye on the cross and what I've done for you. I'm your answer and I'm your victory. Then he goes on to say, man, I got to land this jet. Worship team, make your way back, would you? For God so loved the world that he gave. I love that scripture. That's the first one we all get to quote. Remember. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn him, but that the world through him might be saved. He talked about two things. He talked about life everlasting and he talked about eternal life. Wait a minute. What's eternal life? That's the God kind of life. It's the Zoe. The God kind of life. That's beyond this dimension. You and I are in time, but God's eternal. You have to understand that and keep that in mind. God's beyond the time frame of everything that you and I are in. And he's an eternal God. And he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved and that word saved there simply means 
to make safe means to deliver. It means to protect. It means to heal. It means to preserve. It means to do well. It means I want to make you whole. I want to make you whole. And Jesus said, all you need is to believe on me. In a new birth, I can bring a whole new life into what's right there, right now. Well, pastor, how do I really know? I don't know if these are good answers or not, but it's the best I could, maybe as the Lord was revealing to me, that I could come up with. How do I know that I'm really born again? Because I think we ought to know. I believe when you are truly born again, it becomes all about Jesus. Life becomes all about the one that delivered you. When you're really born again. Remember Mary and Joe, Mary and Lazarus and Martha? You remember that story? Jesus comes to her house and Mary's sitting at his feet. Martha's in the kitchen doing good stuff. Lazarus is just hanging out because he's provision. And Martha screams at Mary and says, Hey, get her in here to help me get this Simo lunch ready. And Jesus said, Martha, you got much on your mind, but Mary hath chosen. That better thing. Not that he was scolding her for the good things she was doing. Because that's where some of us fall in. And that's the religious part. Because I feel like I've done my religious duty. Or because I've provided something. Then I must be really in that spot where I could say I'm born again. Because I do all of these things. But when your greatest desire is to sit at the feet of Jesus, and that's not just on Sunday morning, you might be religious if the only time you encounter his presence is when you're in a good service on a Sunday morning. You might just be religious. You might just be religious if the only time you ever encounter his presence is when you're in the presence of your favorite speaker. But what about Jesus? That I long to be with him. That he's the most important thing in my life. Because nobody could free me. I don't think it was this Mary. Maybe somebody could. I'll have to look and find it out. But there was another Mary of whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Was it her? Maybe it No? Okay, there was another one that spent time. Because of what Jesus did for her. The more God does for you and the more you recognize you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. The more you really recognize the transformation that Jesus did in your life. Here's the second thing I believe is a great mark. The things of this world begin to change. They don't mean what they once meant. 
we used to sing the song, Take This Whole World, But Give Me Jesus. I remember that song that we used to sing as a church. I surrender all and all to Jesus. I surrender no matter what it cost us. And we would sing those songs and we would, we would shed tears and snot would run out of our nose and we, we would lay on the altar, we would lay on the floor, we would cry, Jesus, I surrender all to you. The things of this world change. I'm convicted now by things that I once were in. That doesn't mean anything. I'm not, I'm, I'm not moved by that. I, I don't feel that pulling anymore because I've really encountered this, this real new birth life and I'm cultivating it. Here, here's the third thing. Here's, here's the third one. Is others become different to me? That I can't keep this thing to myself. I'm not ashamed to, to let others know. I'm not ashamed to stand and declare that I'm a, I'm a child of God. I, I'm not ashamed to stand up for the one that gave himself for me and shed his blood for me, that died for me, that I could have life and have it more abundantly. But I'm afraid much of the church. Maybe we've just gotten religious and didn't realize it. We've gotten old and set in our ways. We come and we go through the motions and we just sit down and it's easier to wear the t-shirt with the cross on it or say Jesus loves you than it is for me to take a bold stand. Because remember, this kingdom life has an impact. If your neighbors are asking you, I didn't know you were a Christian, then maybe... Maybe, just maybe, we're too much like them and we've become more religious than we have godly. Maybe if nobody's convicted by my presence anymore, maybe I'm too much like them and I'm exercising too much of their life instead of them being transformed by my life. And we wonder why the world is going nuts around us. So we, the church, want to scream and holler about everything that we do when that was never, ever God's plan. God's plan was my new life in you would bring such an impact that everywhere you would go, you would leave residue and you would change atmosphere. Everywhere we go, that's what's supposed to happen. Wow, I'm not trying to get on anybody's toes. I'm just trying to get us to realize where we are, why we can't seem to get everything that we want to get. And it's easier for somebody else to produce it than it is for me to get into it. I'm landing here. It's interesting to me in this story of the book of John, the story before it, is the first miracle that Jesus did when he turns water into wine. Y'all know that story, right? It's the first miracle. He's at a wedding feast. 
And they're celebrating. That's what you do. They're partying. And all of a sudden, Miss Tanya, they have run out of wine. They're, the party has come to an end. We're out of wine. You have to understand something. If you really look into this, if that you're the host and you run out of wine, you have to understand something. You're a dud. Party's over. This is an embarrassing moment. I believe there's people in this room this morning. You've been living your life in the party. And you've really run out of wine. And you're embarrassed about the place that you're at right now. Because it's not producing what it wants producing. I'm, I'm empty and I'm struggling to find. Somebody help me. And then here's this man in chapter 3. Here's this man that has studied all of his life. He's been a part of the church. This isn't something that just happened. He's not a newbie in the things of, of God in a sense. But no doubt he come through a lineage of family to be where he was. But yet he's sitting in the dark. He's just grown and gotten, he knows a lot. But he's just gotten dark. And he's in the dark when it comes to the things of God. I believe there's people in this room just like that this morning. You're in the dark. Don't realize it. Been in church all your life. You know more. I used to work with guys when I worked for the power company. Could ring, could run rings around me with the word. But they were more heathen than what you could ever imagine. They had just gotten cold and in the dark. Then the next chapter and I'm done. It's a lady that Jesus meets at a well that's going to draw some water. And Jesus says, give me. And he said, if you only knew who it was that asked you of this water, Jesus said, I'll give you a drink where you will never thirst again. And Jesus spends a little time with her and he visits her and all he could see was the trauma that was in her life. He asked her a question revealed by the Spirit. Where's your husband? She said, I have none. She said, he said, very well. You've had five husbands, and this in here isn't your husband. Her life has been a life of pain, been a life of trauma from one relationship to another. I went into a business yesterday to a lady that I knew, and I said hello to her. And, and the moment I said hello to her, she began to talk to me. I, I said, how are you and your family doing? She said, we're not. I, I said, what, what do you mean you're not? She said, I just left him. And she said, I'm so happy. And she said, the reason I am, she said, nobody knew this. It was all undercover. It was all a secret for years. I don't know what happened. I don't know. She didn't tell me. She said he was so full of trauma. He was never able to get over to it. She said, I just couldn't take anymore. I believe there's people in this room that your life is nothing but trauma. Nothing but pains. Nothing but wounds. But I'm here to tell you that's not the life that God intended. No matter how dark it was. No matter how bad it was. 
God can go into your past. That's why he's yesterday and he's today and tomorrow. He knows how to walk into your yesterday and he can be there as though you relive that. And those are the things I don't want to deal with it because it's too painful. But when Jesus goes in, he takes the sting and he begins to bring the healing and deliverance that you don't have to live in that trauma anymore.